where three women with names discuss movies that are about something other than a man. Paid in Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. It's also a spoiler-filled free-for-all. You've been warned. Y'all ready for this? (laughs) (laughs) On today's episode of Paid in Puke, we are talking about Miguel Arteta's 2017 film, Beatrice at Dinner, written by Mike White and starring Salma Hayek. Connie Britton, Chloe Sevigny, and Amy Landiger. Beatrice at Dinner tells the story of a holistic medicine practitioner who attends a wealthy client's dinner party after her car breaks down. Hi. Thank you so much for coming up during rush hour. What happened? My car is not working. Did you call AAA? I called a friend. He has to finish work. You can just stay for dinner. <laughs> it's Doug Strutt. It's work, Kathy. She's not a housekeeper or something. She's a friend of the family. She is? Really? Hey, hello. Hi, guys. Hi. So, Doug, you built hotels. Once we built a hotel in Panama, and some locals blew up one of our trucks with bombs. When I first came to the United States alone... Did you come legally? Yes. The world is dying. Elephants are dying. Bees are dying. It will touch you. I hope it will touch me in my private parts. (laughs) You think it's funny? I think it's sick. It's not like we're beheading people or blowing up babies. Buenas noches. Bring it on. Beatrice at dinner. This is one of my favorite movies from SIF 2017. I love any Mike White. He's one of my favorite screenwriters. What did you guys think? It was really good. Salma Hayek's character reminded me of Mike White's enlightened Laura Dern's character and... The Beatrice character confronting that they can't live in this world anymore with all of these terrible things happening in the world. And then they're confronted with people that represent all of these terrible things in the world. And she's trying to connect with them or, or trying to make them see her point of view. And I really loved the actors in this movie and I thought it was really good. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I'll be honest, I thought I was going to love, love, love it. And... I liked it as a good friend. <laughs> but yeah, I love the cast in this movie. And I mean, it did really capture how people think that they're the good guys. Like, I thought I did a great job with microaggressions and just the whole dynamic of it where she was basically like, oh, be our guest, you're our guest. But she doesn't, re- Connie Britton, you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. she doesn't really, really mean it. She doesn't realize that she doesn't mean it, but she's like, oh, you're. You're my good friend. What does she say? She's a friend of the family or one of my closest friends. Yeah. So was it a big deal? Uh, yeah. I told her she could have dinner here. So what do you want me to do? Do you want me to have her eat in the TV room by herself? Yeah. Really? Why not? Because I'm not going to do that. Because she's not a housekeeper or something. She's a friend of the family. She is? Grant. She did so much for Tara. She's had a horrible week. The neighbors Okay, fine. So it's one extra person at dinner. So what? She's the sweetest. He said fine. Like, she doesn't mm-hmm. know she doesn't mean it, but she really doesn't mean it. Went because Beatrice takes her at her word and does hop in, kind of be herself. I love when she <laughs> like, hugs Chloe Sabini when she first <laughs> <Yeah. started. laughs> 
I mean, I had some issues with it, but I did really like it a lot. I forgot that, I don't know how I didn't put that together, that Mike White did Enlightened, because it has such a similar vibe in some yes. way, and I loved Enlightened. He's got such an ear for dialogue. Mm-hmm. I feel like he does such a great job of capturing people's characters with just a little quip or something. Mm-hmm. Just one little aside that someone says really sums them up, and mm-hmm. you really understand who they are. During her recovery, Beatrice was so helpful. I'm telling you, this woman is a saint. It's like birds fly out of the sky and land on her shoulder. Aww. It's like Snow White. We had a baby nurse like that when she left Alex and I sobbed. Really? Oh, now we're going to have to get up in the middle of the night and hold the baby. Kidding. <laughs> we loved her. She was like a member of the family. I'm so in awe of that skill. (laughs) Yeah, I do really like also how it kind of addresses people behaving differently in different environments. Like the reason Kathy, Connie Britton's character, the reason she thinks that Beatrice will just fit in is because she's got this compartmentalized universe where one part of her is this holistic person who used this alternative therapy to help her daughter when she was sick. And so she thinks like, oh, I'm this open-minded person because I was able to do this and I really am grateful to this person for helping me. But when Beatrice is invading her other compartment of the rich white housewife, (laughs) then she starts to get prickly about it. And it's hard for her because she's starting to then have to confront herself about why this is bothering her. And she doesn't like it. I don't think she takes it well. Right. I mean, I don't think she expects her to fit in. I think she expects her to act like she's lucky to be there. You know, like, I don't think she was really expecting her to kind of jump in on any conversation or certainly not be confrontational or anything. I feel like she doesn't realize it, but I think she's (laughs) expecting her to know her place. Exactly. I love any interaction between Beatrice and the help, you know. (laughs) Those scenes are so interesting and hard to watch. And you could just see, like, oh, what's that actor's name? John Early? John Early. I yeah. love him. I loved seeing him in that. I don't know him. He's a young blonde guy. He's I like mean, a waiter. Right. Oh, what else is he in? He's in Search Party is the other thing I know him from. I think um, Michael Showalter, he has something to do with creating it or something. He's really funny. He does these shorts with this character actor. Her name's Kate Berlant. Yeah, I love her. Yeah, they do like shorts together. Oh, oh and there she is. Hi, Kate. Oh, oh, whoa. oh. ow. Okay. Oh, God. Whew. Are you okay? Sorry. Am I, what do you really Oh, mean? my God. That looks okay? I'm fine. really what bad. What are you talking about? You falling off the chair. I mean, I don't remember falling. Did I fall? No, you just fell. I, I have no recollection of falling. I, I didn't fall, but um, how are you? No, you absolutely just fell. But um, I didn't. Good. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. I'm glad that you've recovered from the fall. Having not fallen, I was right I here. I could have recovered from. Good I to see you, sweetie. Fall. I was right here seeing you fall. Didn't but it's fall. so good to see you. Such. This time is crazy. It's so awful in so many ways. And, of course. You know, I, my heart goes out to everyone, but I have to my say- My heart I, just, just went out to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I have never been better. I mean, I am doing so well. And John Early, uh, last year he did this short where he was in his like alter ego character, Vicky the Comedian, and it's so hilarious. It's a video he made supporting Bernie Sanders. The part of love in your country is known when she's hurting. And honey, she's in pain. We're one of the richest countries in the world and 28 million Americans are uninsured right now. 
one of the richest countries in the world, and 550,000 Americans are homeless. We make up 4% of the world's population, but 22% of the world's prison population. Something's off. Something's rotten at the core. <laughs> the calls are coming from inside the house, y'all. I liked seeing him in the movie, although he didn't really get to shine comedically, but yeah, it was cool to see him in that. I thought he did a great job in the scene where he's taking orders. He really made the most of that moment where he's taking the dinner orders and anytime he was taking drink orders too. He was lying on the ground screaming. I was hysterical. The kids didn't know what the hell was going on. It was awful. A Grey Goose splash of crayon and Jack and Coke. And can I get you anything? Just water. You sure? Is there any wine? Of course, yeah, red or white. Maybe a little white wine. Okay, a little bit of white. With his face, he was really sort of clocking what was going on, and you could tell he was kind of the only person there who really understood the full dynamic. He feels free to interrupt Beatrice when she's talking, but then John Lithgow's talking, and he waits for him to finish before he steps in. We have many treatments. Rolfing, breath therapy. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Um, I need to take everyone's order. You have a choice of either the grilled halibut or the beef tenderloin. There was a lot of, I feel like he yeah. did such a good job of like the subtle interactions and there's just so many microaggressions in this oh my god i know yeah the connie Britton character just the way that she talks about beatrice to her friends she's a saint you're a saint yeah she's or like a miracle sure. worker beatrice is a healer i am not even joking she is a miracle worker we met at the ardendale center do you guys know the ardendale center mm -hmm. it's a cancer well it's everything but mostly cancer and then like she's bragging about her daughter being in college and there are gays and trans and her roommate is a jewish girl from new york tara's loving college so many interesting people. It's very diverse, gays and trans and people from all over. Her roommate is a Jewish girl from New York. Isn't that cool? That was sort of like her attitude about it. It's just like gross the way she talks about people or like, isn't she so worldly? Right, look, I'm friends with a brown person. Exactly. I wonder if a lot of her jumping on inviting Beatrice to the thing was to show off that she's so open-minded. <laughs> right, yeah. She really prides herself on being so worldly or she's just so good at being that white lady, that rich white lady, you know? Right. So she's like very vocally liberal, but obviously not in practice at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Shut up, Hot Probs is on. Oh shit, yeah. I have one big one, which okay. What's your big one? I just hate the ending. The very, very ending, I yeah. don't care for it. When I was watching the movie the first time, I was loving it because I thought the ending was that she was going to kill John Lithgow. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that would have been amazing. But then she walks into the ocean without doing that. And I'm like, if you're going to walk into the ocean, you should have killed him. Yeah, I don't like the ending. I feel like it's sort of a betrayal of the movie. And like you were saying how... Kathy's saying, oh, Beatrice is a saint, you know, and that's something that performative liberals do is glamorize, like, oh, look at the immigrant, you know, mm -hmm. like that, that kind of thing. And then it, it's like, why are you doing that? Like, I feel like it's sort of romanticizing the little brown lady mm -hmm. herself. Like, what? I don't, I don't get that ending at all. I definitely wish that that little fantasy where she killed John Lithgow was actual reality. That would have been, like, such a cool swerve. Yeah. <sighs> 
I was believing it too because I feel like Mike White sometimes his screenplays go farther than you think they're gonna go. Like, yeah. Good Girl, I was like, whoa. Or what's the other movie? Chuck and Buck. Yeah, Chuck yeah. and Buck. Both of those, like, you know, things escalate. That's true. Mike White, so I totally was, I, mean, I even wrote down, like, oh yeah, I forgot Mike White doesn't fuck around. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm just kidding. Yes, he does, sorry. One time he did fuck around. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if that was not his original ending. Maybe, yeah. And then, like, you know, for all, even though he's great at showing subtlety and microaggressions, I do feel like it's kind of a heavy-handed movie overall. And then my mini hot frog, although now I feel like, now that we've been talking about it, I can see it, is when she first says car trouble and Kathy's like, did you call AAA? Which is like, obviously she doesn't have AAA. Right? right? Oh my gosh. Uh, but if Kathy has AAA, she can just call AAA. It doesn't have to be your car. You it know? does have to be your car. No, it doesn't. Are you sure? I've, I've experienced that 100%. Oh my God, because I've experienced a different thing where yeah. Chris was stranded somewhere and AAA was only in my name and they showed up and they were like, we can't do anything for you because the AAA is your wife's AAA. The AAA is not your, your AAA. Okay. So then so I had to go and put him on the thing. But that's not whose car it was, that who had AAA. Like, he called oh. AAA and he didn't have AAA. Okay. But if you were there, if you have AAA and you call, they will come. Mm. I've been on both sides. I didn't have it and someone else called and they fixed my car and then I've had it the other way. I'm with somebody, they don't have AAA and I called AAA. Okay. So it's assigned to the person, not the car. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, so maybe Kathy just didn't know that. Yeah. But, you know, when that happened, I was like, all right, well, why didn't she just call AAA for her? So maybe she didn't know that. But then what you're saying is, like, she kind of relished that chance to show off her yeah. diverse friendship. Maybe that was it. But I do feel the whole movie hinges on that. Even without the whole AAA thing, like, it's kind of fucked up that they don't offer to help in any way. She has cards up it's like, oh, someone will come out four hours from now or tomorrow. Okay, you're fine. With or without AAA, like, it's weird that they're just like, eh, okay, you're taking care of it. I don't think that is that weird, though, because I feel like those people are used to not doing things for other okay. people. Yeah. Like, they have so many people helping them. It's like, they're planning a dinner party, but they're not really planning it. They're right. telling other people to plan the dinner party, and <laughs> all they have to do is put their suits on or whatever. Mm -hmm. I want to say, on behalf of Gina and myself, thank you for having us at your stunning home, and of course, to you, Kathy, for helping make this dinner. You did help make the dinner. Oh, thing. God. Well, <laughs> I didn't, but I did plan the menu, and I know that sounds easy, but when you have OCD like I do, you know, it took me about three weeks. I felt like, why couldn't Kathy tell one of her assistance oh i'll get i'll get blah 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 to help you or maybe she has another car lying around that beatrice could have <laughs> i bet they do have another car lying around yes right. that they wouldn't even miss bring the car back you know whatever it's cool or like let me give you some money for an uber or something yeah you're right the whole movie hinged on her being stuck there the scene where like she's talking about her goat being murdered by her neighbor and Maybe it was just like a passing thought for Kathy to ask her to dinner and maybe she assumed Beatrice would say no or something, you know? <laughs> she struck me as that kind of character too, like offering all these things, but kind of expecting Beatrice not to take her up on it or something. That she's there at all for dinner, it seemed, that was my hot prob too. Yeah, her husband really sucked too. Kathy's husband too. <laughs> he was yeah. not into the idea. <laughs> yeah. and now that we're talking about it, I do think it's a lot more that Kathy was seeing an opportunity to show off. 
Because especially I was thinking about how at dinner she couldn't wait to be like, oh, Beatrice is a vegetarian. I'll have a halibut and Beatrice is a vegetarian. So if we could just put some vegetables and rice and salad on her plate, that'd be good. Thank you. Thank you, Cathy. That's perfect. She really just loves to seem like a very helpful and open-minded person. Right. And she kind of infantilizes Beatrice too, like get some vegetables for Beatrice or, you know, doesn't even let her speak. Connie Britton was so good at that character. I feel like she does understand that type of person pretty well. (laughs) She's a little bit like that in uh, the American Horror Story. That's kind of the only other thing I really know Connie Britton from is the first season of American Horror Story. She's definitely been in a lot of things I haven't seen. Yeah, she's from Texas, and she was roommates with Wendy, I forget her last name, but she's a congressperson in Texas. Wendy Davis? Yes, she's really good friends with Wendy Davis. She's like this liberal activist. She's very good at being that character, and I feel Mm -hmm. like it's kind of similar to her in real life. I mean, I would hope that all the people who are pretending to be these awful rich people are actually not as awful as they're pretending to be, but... But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know. I don't think John Lithgow is an evil man. I think he's very, very good at playing evil. Mm-hmm. I get the impression that he's actually a very sweet person in real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he is so effective at being awful. He's great. <laughs> Rolfing, huh? You go to school for that? Well, when I first came to the United States a long time ago. Did you come legally? Yes. Now, how'd that work? I had family here on my mother's side. My grandmother died and... and they're all citizens or... or oh, Doug, what, you work for the INS? You're grilling her. I'm curious. A lot of people come here illegally. I was interested in how she did it. Next call. Well, let's see. We can move on to meaningful passages then. Oh, I have yeah. so yeah. many. I've already started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Mopey Dick, if you know what I mean. I'm not even sure where to start. <laughs> I guess I'll start with Jay Duplass' character. He's my favorite Duplass. On the record, Jay Duplass. Love him. Mexico's awesome. I love Cancun. Yeah. <laughs> Mexico. Tlaltlecultli. On the Pacific. It was very beautiful once. Mexico's awesome. I love Cancun. Yeah, there is so many. I love what you said before, which says her roommate is a Jewish girl from New York, because that's a yeah. like, very specific person's <laughs> idea of diversity. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like something someone would say in a J.D. Salinger story. When John Lithgow is talking about his like title suggestions for his book, Life is a Game and Guess Who Won? And there's a picture of me. That one goes in the memoirs. It's going in the memoirs. I'm writing a memoir. Bullshit. Really? Yeah, I know. We gotta deal with Random House. Just gotta get around writing it. But I'm always coming up with titles. You wanna hear some? Hell yeah. Of course, hit me. Yeah. Life is a game, and guess who won? Oh. A big picture of me on the cover. I love it. Amazing. That's it. Yeah. And this is good. You're in my way, asshole. A memoir by Doug Strutt. <laughs> <laughs> How to make a billion dollars without going to prison, except for one time, and I was innocent. And besides, everyone else was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's a bestseller. And then the picture of me just made me laugh so much. <laughs> and then also when he says to Beatrice, she's talking about her work, he says, oh, you have an office. Good for you. You would have to come to the center in Santa Monica. I have an office. You have an office. Good for you. Oh my God. Such an asshole. <laughs> Yo, you don't have a dirt floor? Wow. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Chloe Stephanie also really great. I wrote down her line, France is like a third world country. (laughs) (laughs) I love Chloe Stephanie. I love when Beatrice says, I love you, Kathy. And Kathy (laughs) says, aw, good night. Go up to Tara's room, go to bed. I'll see you in the morning. Thank you for everything. Never should drink like that. I love you, Kathy. Aw, good night. Oh my god, I wrote that one down too. Um, And very telling of Kathy when she's arguing with her husband about why Beatrice should stay. He's basically saying like she's not up to par here. And (laughs) Kathy's like, she's not a housekeeper or something. Because she's not a housekeeper or something. She's a friend of the family. She is? Basically identifying her on her tier of help. She's like better than some of the help, but (laughs) but not quite on our level. She's a friend of the family. And he's like, she is? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's also like how far removed he was from that whole experience probably of Kathy and her daughter and the illness. I bet Kathy really did develop some sort of feelings for Beatrice because of that. And I bet she was doing the primary caretaking of her daughter during the illness. That's the impression I get that like the husband was basically just not there. Right, I get that too, but I also feel like they aren't really friends, you know, like Kathy wants to tell oh, yeah. herself that they're friends and they're not. Like you can have a nice rapport with somebody who works for you in some capacity and that's not the same as being friends, you know. You can yeah. become friends with someone in that relationship. I mean, I think he is right and it's clear by the end like they're not actually friends. That's one of those exchanges where there is a lot going on in just a little bit of dialogue. But to me it says that Kathy does think that they are at that point. Like she has deluded herself into thinking, Kathy is like for sure the most deluded person in this Mm -hmm. movie. Oh, totally. (laughs) The part where Beatrice is going to be picked up by a tow truck and she goes in with some cash for her to give to Beatrice and Beatrice doesn't want her money and, and she's like, I don't even know you. I don't know what to do. I wanted to give you some money. Just take it. It's going to be so expensive for you to get your car towed back to Altadena. I don't want your money. Well, I don't know. I kind of feel like I don't even know you. You don't know me. Well, I'm sorry this happened. I just don't know what to do. You know, like, I tried to give you money. Right, (laughs) exactly. Uh, Throw money at seven. Usually that works. (laughs) Out of ideas now. Yeah. And then, like, when... I forget what Kathy's husband's name is, but he's decided he's had enough. He's going to get Beatrice out of the house and call a tow truck. And he goes, why would you do that to Kathy? She treats you like a fucking friend. What the fuck was that? Huh? My relationship with that guy paid for this house. What were you thinking? Why would you do that to Kathy? She treats you like her fucking friend. She treats you like a fucking friend. No, she doesn't. Definitely. I mean, because also he's saying, like, not only is that not true, but it's also him being like, you should be grateful that a person like this would consider you human, basically. Right. Yeah. She's so lucky to be there with them. You know, like, that's how they treat her. I feel like also part of that is Kathy wants to think of her as a friend so that she can tell herself that she has diverse friends. I remember one time a long time ago talking to my ex-husband about, like, how you don't have diversity in your life or what, not him specifically, but I mean, like, in general, like, name your closest black friend. Like, do you have any black friends? And he was like... Oh, that guy. He didn't even know his name. (laughs) He's like, that guy was like the receptionist at the gym or something that you had a friendly rapport with. For you, you think of him as a friend because he's your black friend, you know, and it's like, 
you wouldn't register right. in his top hundred people that we thought of. You know, like right. I think that's part of why Kathy might think of her as a friend because she wants to have Mexican friends, brown friends, yeah. or whatever. You know, whereas Beatrice, that's not important to her to have a white friend. You yeah. Know? Like, <laughs> yeah, she's trying yeah. to tick boxes. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've had friends like that. I've had a friend introduce me to somebody at their house at a party. Christina's mom has MS. Oh, you do so much for your mom. You know, and it's just like, thanks. You know, like, I feel like I had friends like that. They just really pride themselves on being so open-minded and privy to all these like real world problems that people have. And, you know, they don't have any of those problems, you know, but it's just so interesting. Well, Beatrice's family had to leave their home when she was a little girl in Mexico and they were so poor that they all had to separate from each other. So she never really knew her mother. And then she was raised by her grandmother and then her grandmother died and she was all alone. And then she married a guy here and he disappeared or got killed. Kathy. I feel like I, I've known a lot of people like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why they have to mention it, I think, is because they're like, I would never have these issues, but I'm adjacent to them, so. Right. Yeah, like, it's kind of like a form of their entertainment. I love that Beatrice talked about all your pleasures are built on other people's pain. It'd be better just to find the source of all this suffering. Destroy the source, you know? What's the source? What, you think I'm the source? (laughs) You give me too much credit. What I think is all your pleasures are built on others' pain. Oh, that's bullshit. And then the other line, you can break something in two seconds, but it can take forever to fix it. That was like my favorite line. You can break something in two seconds, but it can take forever to fix it. A lifetime, generations. That's why we have to be careful on this earth and gentle. And then right before that, I think she says, try healing something. Try healing something. That is hard. That requires patience. I really love that because that's the hard work is fixing things that these terrible people break in two seconds. The moments with just her, her and John Lithgow was so interesting to me. Like, when she is giving him this massage, he's just sort of like falling into it, almost like they're connecting in some way. Wow, hey, this is my lucky day. <sighs> oh, your neck, there's a lot of tension on your neck. She's a miracle worker, Doug. Also, the scene where she she comes out to apologize and she's like, I want to sing you a song about simpler times. And you can see that John Lithgow gets locked in. And I feel like there's just like a glimpse of humanity, but it's just not quite there. Like he, he just sees her as a person in this like one little moment. And then, but his world is just not built that way. He can't accept her as a person because if he does, then it crumbles everything else that he's built because his whole life is built on crushing people like her so he can't possibly let her in and it's also interesting the whole like when she's massaging him because that's a dynamic that they would have outside that room like he probably has been touched by brown people in that way before to him that's it's like order has been restored and exactly yeah maybe that's why he's so comfortable (laughs) makes much more sense yeah (laughs) 
Or when she's performing for him, right? Like, mm-hmm. even though she's singing this song that is actually, I found the lyrics to it. And basically she's like saying fuck you in a song, but he doesn't know that because it's in Spanish. But like, the, yeah, the two times when he pays attention to her are when she's serving him in a way that makes sense to his worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then yeah. beyond that, he can't. And like, oh my God, like the first interaction when he sees her and immediately asks her for a drink. Guys, um, before dinner, I just wanted to give you a little heads up. Can I uh, get another bourbon, huh? Oh, no, no, Doug, this is, uh, this is Beatrice. I'm sorry you weren't introduced. She's our guest. She's staying for dinner. Oh, okay. You were hovering. I just figured you were part of the, the staff. Well, I'll go and get you a drink. Oh, thanks. Alex, uh, Jack and Coke. Can I have another? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wine. That's when I knew I loved the movie when I was first watching it. And then how the tables turn so quickly because the husband ends up having to go get drinks and she's right. like, I want a drink too. Oh, God, yeah. That was really good. Yeah, and I love that too how like John Lithgow was not at all apologetic or embarrassed or anything. He's, he was like, well, she was hovering over there. <laughs> yeah, like she, surely you can understand why I would be right. confused. Exactly. <laughs> and then the whole where are you from, where are you really from, yeah. you <laughs> that really whole from? thing. Oh, yeah, and he makes a joke like, I was born in Oaxaca. And where are you from? Laguna. But we have houses in there. Well, we're all over. But where are you really from? I was born in Oaxaca. (laughs) No, no, I was born in San Diego. It's just so real, you know, like those, those kinds of, you guys said it perfectly. It's microaggressions all, all over the place. And it is one of those things where like, I can see how people would feel it's heavy handed, but at the same time, it is very real. Like I've definitely known people who'd say shit exactly like this. It's more that it's concentrated than it's heavy handed. (laughs) Yeah. I like Amy Landecker's character. She's also in Transparent. She plays the wife of Doug Strutt and she's... She's really good at being that very superficial. We don't know where to spend the holidays. And they both have families and grandkids. Everyone gets along with you. I mean, mostly. Uh-oh. No, we do. It, the big issue is where are we going to spend the holidays? Jack and Brittany are in Connecticut, and they have their house in St. Bart's, and Calvin's here, and he has his place in Cabo, and we're here, and we have this place we love on the big island. Or the beach houses. The big island. Yeah, we always lose. Jack's wife is not easy. Like, all these houses all over the place that people have, and... God, what a problem that is. I think part of that also involved like exes or steps and Yeah. Yeah, I mean clearly spend time with their other parent. I mean, you know she was the third wife, but I I also get the impression she had kids with an ex husband too, and that was all like all the logistics. (laughs) It's exhausting. All the homes and all the family. (laughs) The kids deciding between St. Bart's and Aspen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then when they're meeting Beatrice, like the scene with the women who are Kathy's friends, and then Beatrice, they're like outside getting to know each other and she's saying what Beatrice does and Amy Landecker's like, I love psychic stuff. The first time I met her, it was like I recognized her just by the eyes. Recognized her as what? Maybe my mother in another life or my daughter. You have unfinished business with someone and then in the next life, they come back in a different form. I love psychic stuff. Oh, I let this gypsy steal $2,000 from me once. 
the conversation goes from something like really earnest that she's saying and then the women all start oh did you hear about this child star who took a picture of her vagina or something and the old souls must help us find a way to heal the earth it's a big responsibility yeah have you guys seen the pictures of zoe mars yes what is that about <sighs> Doug and I were looking at them in the car on the way over here. We almost threw up. Where is that girl's mother is what I want to know. It goes very quickly from Beatrice trying to be like really genuine. And, you know, nobody wants to hear that. Like she has that octopus story at the dinner table. Nobody wants to hear that. I looked down at the octopus and I touched it. And this shock went through my whole body. I could feel the pain of this octopus. It was electric. You're very sensitive. Maybe it was an electric eel. When I'm on the table, she can sense exactly where I'm storing my stress. It's usually in my Have you ever seen a white octopus? Yes, terrifying. He forced yeah, me I, to I go scuba diving. I was fucking out of there. I had a panic attack. to the bone. Really? Yeah. That sucks. This looks great. Oh my god, I'm so excited. It's too much for them, you know? They just are about the surface stuff. <laughs> very yeah. real housewife. Very much. And all the passing around of the phone, pictures in the phone. And they don't even really ask her if she wants to see a picture of this girl's vagina or not. They're just like, here it is. So she has all these crusty red inflamed sores all over her vagina. How do they know it's her vagina? Because you can see her face in the photos. How can you be so stupid? It's really sad, actually. I mean, she was happy. Well, her career's over. You want to see the pictures? Oh, my God. Ugh. And then I did write down the lie. I think Amy Landecker says, in a way, it's kind of amazing. In a way, it's kind of amazing. Uh It's either her or Chloe. I can't remember. In a way, it's kind of amazing. (laughs) Instead of tragic and embarrassing for this poor starlet. Yeah. I like the scene where John Lithgow is talking about his safari. And I love it when Beatrice throws the phone and says, I think it's fucking sick. This is disgusting. You, you killed this Hey, what? What is wrong with you? Beatrice, calm down. You think it's funny? I don't think it's funny. I think it's fucking sick. Yeah, I wrote that too. I love how she throws the phone. Yeah. I love that too, because like, if something happens to it, he can get another one. It's not a big deal. I feel like that's a very low stakes... Right. way to protest something. Right. Kathy is so concerned, like, because he says it get cracked a little, and she's like, oh, we'll replace it. You know? yeah. oh my god, I wouldn't replace somebody's phone. I'm just glad you didn't break my phone. Is it broken? It does have a little crack, actually. Oh, well, we will replace that, Doug, please. Absolutely. <laughs> it's fine. She doesn't offer to help someone with car trouble, but, like, the richest guy in the world is like, I'll replace your phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even try to repair the screen. Another line that I wrote down, after dinner, Beatrice is gone and they're all talking about, oh, Kathy, this is such a great home. And her husband's like, well, we bought it the height of the market. He's complaining about it. And John Lithgow's like, well, you can't take it with you. Oh, it is so nice out here. Oh, we feel so lucky. Except we bought it the height of the market. Other than that, we feel lucky. (laughs) You can't take it with you. Yes. I wrote that down too. Uh, Yeah, majorly 
fucking triggered by that line. I wrote that down because in high school, I took a drama class and I didn't think I liked plays that much, but our teacher made us watch a lot of plays on like VHS and You Can't Take It With You is like the first play that I like really, it was like, it was a comedy. So I, I really liked it a lot. It's about like accepting people and it's pretty funny but it's like, you can't take it with you. That can be interpreted one way of like, well, you can't take it with you, all of the material, whatever. It doesn't matter, we're all gonna die. And then like the John Lithgow character, his attitude of you can't take it with you is, I mean, he tells Beatrice like, it doesn't all have to be so sad. Yeah, (laughs) I wrote that down. How many years till we're both dead? 20 years, 30 years. We're dying. Humans are dying, elephants are dying, bees are dying. The world is dying. What are you gonna do? Accept it and enjoy yourself. You should try to enjoy yourself. It's not all so sad, is it? You should enjoy yourself. So his, you can't take it with you is like the other side of it of like, take advantage of everything or take everything while you're here. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah, like, don't bother leaving anything behind for anyone else because right. this is all about you. Yeah. I was, the reason I was majorly triggered by that line is because my dad bought a, <laughs> a very expensive sports car, very distastefully called a pandemic relief car on social media this is a couple months ago when everyone's like how's that twelve hundred dollar check treating you and then one of his fucking friends wrote you can't take it with you as one of the comments oh my god i hate his friend oh yeah i know (laughs) i'm like oh you know who's reading these comments all his children So yeah, it really does mean different things based on who's saying it. Like on the one hand, it's like, if you don't have a lot of money, try to enjoy yourself versus there's nothing else I could do with my millions and billions of dollars. (laughs) John Lithgow characters, like the baby boomer, he doesn't understand why people have problems. He just reminded me of that generation of people that live through like the most successful economic times and really didn't have to do that much work to make so much and be so successful and my dad he just doesn't understand he worked at a grocery store and he put himself through college with the money he made at the grocery store and he had lots of roommates and he did it all himself and this is not the world that we live in it's just like that attitude people just need to help themselves the whole baby boomer generation just is like well i worked and now i'm where i am so i guess people who are struggling are just not willing to work (laughs) and it's really funny how they're almost all white (laughs) usually men college didn't used to be so expensive you used to be able to like Work a minimum wage job and buy a house. Yeah. So it's like, wow, you did it, guys. Mm-hmm. Good for you. But it is totally like, like that his book alternate title is Life is a Game and Guess Who Won. That that's how he really thinks. He won the game because he played the best. If you're not winning the game, then you must have just not played right. Yeah. No, no acknowledgement of how many advantages he had right off the bat. Who do you think Beatrice was talking to, like calling on her phone? Hola, Naroli. Dios mío, Naroli, como te extraño. 
esta noche me duele el corazón por ti. No fue ayer cuando estábamos en los mangales. Me gustaría regresar ahí contigo en un bote. Quizá me puedo regresar nadando. Pero ni siquiera sé si eso todavía existe. I felt like it was some close relative from back home. Yeah, I wondered about that too. And then they have all of these like flashbacks of her in a boat and being in the water and somehow, I, I don't know if Mike White was like trying to say something about her like going into the water again or if there was some kind of meaning behind that or what do you guys think? Well, I feel like the, the boat thing was a dream that she had. Like it kind of opens with the boat scene and then she wakes up. So I figured that was her sort of having a dream about her goat that got murdered. But also I think the boat was in her hometown so she kind of woke up you know how like you have a dream that's really intense and then you still feel sad all day because of it <laughs> does anyone else know what i'm talking about no <laughs> well okay well that happens to me sometimes where it just kind of affects you all day you think about that dream and it like really ruins your day because the dream was so sad i think that dream ruined her day in a way i mean obviously other fucked up things happened too but like i think it kind of colored her day because it brought up these memories of back home and her town getting destroyed by this hotel and i think people she loved died in this protest it just brought up all this stuff i think that dream just sort of stayed with her all day and then maybe that is why she decided to walk in the water at the end i still don't like that that happened but <laughs> i don't like that that happened either I, I just wondered about that and like with the song she was singing, longing for something. Yeah. Well, I can read some of the lyrics. John Lithgow saying it's not all so sad, is it? It's like, yes, it is all so sad. You're wrong. It's all so sad. This song talks about how we always want to go back to the places where we love life. But the old simple things are now gone. It's when all said and done, sadness is the slow death of the simple things. And these simple things keep hurting the heart. People always go back to those old places where they loved life. Then they see how those old things they loved have gone away. Because of this girl, don't go away, dreaming that you will return, because love is simple and time devours the simple things. Wow. Yeah. And that's what she's singing and like looking directly into John Lithgow's soul when she's singing that. Yeah, that was intense when they're like looking at each other when she's singing. She's like the ultimate empath or something like, even in the beginning where she's waking up in the morning and she feeds her dogs and she gets really upset that one of her dogs is eating her other dog's food. <laughs> she feels the pain of everything, you know? I don't know. It makes me think of that Dinosaur Jr. song. <laughs> then I feel nothing. But yeah, I mean, she definitely is a person who empathizes more with animals than people, which is something I relate to also. <laughs> <laughs> she has an ofrenda with her goat. Are there people on there too, or is it just the goat? I can't remember. But uh, she definitely feels like her animals are part of her family. People who have dogs, they say they have dogs because dogs give you unconditional love. And you can't get that from people most of the time. <laughs> and then I've actually heard that goats can have like the loyalty of a dog. I've also heard goats are assholes, so I don't know. It depends on who you ask, Robert Eggers. Yeah, I've heard they try to eat everything, and they try to eat your clothes. Or I don't have much experience with goats. Yeah, I thought it was like, wow, she has, she has like two goats in her bedroom, or one goat in her bedroom. And it was so sweet, like she has an ofrenda, but she, 
she has a picture of her dead goat and her family members. I was like, oh, wait, this goat is not just in her dream. It's it's an actual important animal to her. Possibly her favorite goat. I don't know. It's hard to say. The greatest of all time goat. Her goat goat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people don't have favorite children, but they do have favorite pets. Another thing I wrote down was Beatrice, her car has a bumper sticker on it and it says, have a nice day unless you have other plans. I thought that was interesting. I miss that. That's funny. Does she have a lot of stickers on the car? She had more than one. I think she had some other kind of... Does she have one of those coexist stickers? Maybe. It was something like Earth or something. But yeah, I, I like that have a nice day unless you have other plans. I want to see if that's a real bumper sticker. Do you have any other lines? Oh, I, I loved Shut Up Kathy. I thought that was very funny. Very well-timed. Who said Shut Up Kathy? Beatrice. <laughs> when she's finally tired of Kathy's shit. I think you have a great depth of feeling that you project onto the world. But to be honest... The world doesn't need your feelings. It needs jobs. It needs money. It needs what I do. The world doesn't need you. No. The world has more than enough of you. Doug is a great philanthropist. Shut up, Kathy. There is another type of cancer that is killing this earth, dog. Oh, all tears flow from the same source where she's like holding John Lithgow letting him bleed out after she's shanked him in the jugular with a letter opener. All tears flow to the same source. I really like that scene. I had totally forgotten about that part. I saw this years ago, but I forgot about that scene. It was so good. (laughs) Man, I did not forget about that scene. (laughs) I forgot that she didn't really kill him. I just want her to have really killed him. Oh, another line I wrote, which is adjacent to that sort of, is many men do what I do, where he's got another excuse that he makes. Mm-hmm. For a moment, I thought you were a different man. The man that bought the land in Tatekuti. For a minute, I freaked out, you know? <laughs> really, because I have to say, if you had been that man, I would have thought that fate brought us together. For what? I don't know. Revenge, maybe? I should kill you or something? (laughs) But you're not that man. You're another man. Many men do what I do. One man, many men. Which is so fucking classic. Why should I not do this when other people do the same thing? Can't change the system. Exactly. Like, I mean, again, that goes along (laughs) with him. Exactly. (laughs) Of him thinking it's all a game. Oh, the whole thing about hunting being important to the economy. Oh, right. (laughs) Well, it's true, though, what they say. Those animals would basically be gone if it wasn't for the hunting. Because it's very important to the economy. It keeps the parks going. I was squirming so much in that scene of just explaining the whole hunting thing and why he does it. And basically just all an excuse for being full of bloodlust. The white man pontificating about Africa and the rush of killing animals and nature and struggle for survival. Being in Africa, okay? where all the species originated, everyone, including us, going out into the wild when it's still dark, it's quiet, except for these strange prehistoric sounds and waiting for some beast to emerge out of the bush. There's no bigger rush. I bet. What is that? Why is it only the very rich that need to feel that? Ugh, it's so disgusting. Any other uh, quotes from anybody? Hot quotes. Hot quotes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Meaningful probs? I don't have any. I think those are all of, all of mine. What else does a suicide need, huh? Now, if you'll excuse me. Oh, I also wrote down that a letter opener is such a rich person thing to have. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's another reason why I really would have loved if she really murdered him with the letter opener. It would just be so poignant and beautiful. And she should have killed him. So this is what's called a lunchtime poll. This is an exciting lunchtime poll. I guess it kind of goes along with the hunting thing because that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. I don't know, whatever. I don't know what like metaphor I'm looking for here. But anyway, what breaks Beatrice finally to explode is seeing the pictures of the rhinoceros. That's what makes her stand up and get mad and throw the phone. And that's when they're like, whoa, you should go to bed. This has gone too far. And it does really change the course of the, the evening at that point. So the question being on this lunchtime poll, what would make you ruin a dinner party? <laughs> this is such a hard one. I think ultimately mine would be if there was a child around in this scenario, if an adult said something belittling or something to shame something a, a child did, that would set me off. Can you give an example? I just feel like adults can be kind of dicks to their just like parents like that who are just like put their kids down yeah put their kids down but it's like in a oh no it's a funny way it's hard for me to explain but i feel like the the people in that movie they're not genuine at all putting anybody like who's a, like an innocent person down another one for me which would set me off a lot would be like anything ableist i have trouble with also this is a sad one for me because if I'm being honest with myself, I know there's a lot of stuff that I have let go in the past and mm -hmm. probably would. That was the hard thing about this movie. I remember down this movie makes me feel so culpable, you know, and this mm -hmm. poll like makes you think, okay, like, let me imagine like terrible things that people can just say so casually. Yeah. And then also let me decide which things I'm willing to accept and which things I'm not. There's so much emotion there. Yes. I feel like I'm confronting that a lot right now and like i think maybe the pandemic has really brought it right to the surface like i've just been having this realization like i don't want to live in this certain way of being so amenable you know to everything yeah right. that's like very much american society is conditioned to sweep things under the rug ignore things try to let things go smile and nod yeah, yeah. i mean that's very much a cultural thing and yeah it is i mean like amy was saying i completely agree that was a hard thing for me to examine when i was thinking about this of like all the fucked up things that i have let go in parties because i didn't want to stir the pot or rock the boat or whatever it was a business dinner it was this or that there's a lot of personal shame you have to confront when you think about that stuff and i hope that going forward i won't be like that anymore because <laughs> like it's not worth it even though there's a little bit of discomfort at first confronting it it's so much worse to live with knowing that you didn't say anything or do anything yeah totally i mean that reminds me of another line actually that uh doug says i have opinions and because i have money people listen to them oh i know you oh doug's famous he's been on the news you know he's a mogul i have opinions and because i have money people listen which is kind of true. I mean, like, why do we give a shit what Elon Musk thinks about stuff? Oh, it's got to be only I mean, because he has so money, dumb. right? I mean... So <laughs> fucking dumb. Yeah. <laughs> He's a real idiot. Why can we let this guy fuck with space because he has money? Imagine, like, imagine trusting him to send you to space. Never. Oh Never. Yeah. I wouldn't trust the smartest person NASA to send me to space, let alone Elon Musk. Oh, God. 
Ugh. Yeah, he he just like tweets himself into like oblivion too. <laughs> Imagine being in that position and still caring what like random Twitter people thought of you. It's like that, that sounds so hellish. I mean, Donald Trump yeah. fucking cares, doesn't he? I don't think he cares the way Elon Musk cares. You know? like, I feel like Elon Musk is really truly so thin skinned that like you can truly hurt his feelings, whereas Donald Trump is just like a total narcissist egomaniac who thinks you're wrong if you don't like him. You know what I mean? Like that's the difference there. You take an insult to heart or you think you're an asshole for insulting me. (laughs) I also think it's interesting that Salma Hayek, she grew up in a pretty wealthy family in Mexico and she's also a billionaire. I don't know who she's married to. I think he's some kind of billionaire luxury goods conglomerate owner or something in Europe. The character of Beatrice versus who Salma Hayek is in real life is very different. That is really interesting. (laughs) Although she does a lot of like, she does a lot of charity work. Yeah, I love Salma Hayek. I love Frida. That's that's one of my favorite movies. I'm going to put that on the list actually. (laughs) Julie Taymor does a great job with that it's just so artistic she did that movie titus yes i fucking love that movie she's terrific yeah just like the visuals everything's so very artistic and colorful yeah she's kind of like what i feel like what baz lerman wishes he could be (laughs) right yeah i feel like that's what he's trying to do and fails every time although a lot of people disagree with me on that but (laughs) i know amy doesn't Well, who wants to go? Do you want to go next? <laughs> who uh, wants sure, to go next between sure. me and you? <laughs> I'll be next on the lunch This is like a where do I start kind of thing. I feel like politically, I will let a lot of stuff go because I'm just sort of not interested in discussing other people's politics. When I was much younger, I would always be up for a political debate. My brother Kevin, like he said something like, the only reason to debate somebody on something is if you respect their point of view, if you respect them where they're <laughs> yeah. coming from. And it's like, I just don't. The one exception, I have done this like in the recent past and I probably still would, is I will go to bat for third party voters. Like if somebody's trashing third party voters, it's like, oh, well, that's just a vote for Trump or whatever, or, you know, blue no matter who, like I'll stick up for that. No one's entitled to your vote. Your vote is yours, you know? And especially like mm-hmm. if you don't live in a swing state, that's probably the only political thing that I am still willing to speak up on like in a situation like that so that's like my one political answer (laughs) so i still have two more answers (laughs) if this came up somehow if somebody at a dinner party had something to say about divorce and kids if somebody was for some reason around me saying Mm -hmm. that divorce is bad for kids or is a selfish decision Mm -hmm. or you shouldn't get divorced if you have kids I definitely would not just sit there. <laughs> I would not sit no. after that, obvious reasons. But then my real, real answer, I think, if people were talking about, like, texting and driving, which I just feel really strongly about, and I feel so many people, like, think it's fine. And get Marco Polos from everyone in my family while they're driving. They're like, <laughs> fucking put your phone down, you know? So I feel like that's something... Because people will sort of defend that as like, you know, it's fine. Like if you, you know, if you're just driving in a straight shot or if you just have quick tech. Guys, it can wait. That's, that's. That's the whole ad campaign. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a good ad campaign. Yeah. Or pull over. You can pull over. That is so important. I've definitely like pulled over 
it's not right. that hard. There's it's a lot of places you can do yeah. that. If I really feel like I need to respond. Did you see that Warner Herzog film he did, like about the texting and driving? No, but I bet oh. it was real hard hitting. <laughs> God, I love Werner yeah. Herzog. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you get a little tingle. I did. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love his brain. His crazy little brain. Yeah, do not fabricate uh, vanilla ice cream uh, emotionality or shock value. So it's not in the film, but it touches uh, uh, it touches our hearts very deeply. Uh, you want to do your lunch mm-hmm. answer? Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to just like jump right on the Beatrice hunting thing, but two times that I could think of when I had spoken up were one time was when I was in high school my grandmother my mother's mother whose parents immigrated here from Ireland who never had a job her whole life went from being a daughter to being a wife to being a mother was complaining about immigrants stealing our jobs (laughs) at Christmas dinner and I had to say something and I did kind of ruin Christmas that year But I would do it again. <laughs> five out of five would do it again. Yeah. And you served it right after. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, and then I have said things about hunting before. Like, I'm just so against hunting in Africa, especially all those animals, even though they were on a game preserve or whatever, blah, blah. I've seen, like, documentaries that talk about the economy. It's fucked up. You have to be like a terrible, terrible person to want to do that. (laughs) There are no exceptions for me. I mean, if you want to murder a big animal in Africa, fuck you. I hate you. (laughs) But then for like little things where I would probably say something, even if it was just like an offhanded comment, especially if Lula were around. Anytime anyone says something completely sexist, I have to say something. Anytime anybody says anything about what women can or can't do or should or shouldn't do or especially like what they're wearing. Oh, yeah. I can't oh, abide yeah. slut shaving or clothing shaving or any of, the, any of that. Like I cannot. That was the lesson I was yeah. thinking. I thought of something else last night and I didn't write it down. That's what it was. Yeah. I am always willing to stick up for sex positivity. Yeah. So that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we find us over, everybody. <laughs> yeah. But like really there are so many things. I feel like at this point there were many years where I would let things go. Like before I had kids and I worked in this financial firm and we would have parties and there were obviously many conservative people at these office parties and I just bit my tongue off practically like half the time because these were people who paid my salary and I was fairly well compensated for an administrative assistant at the time so I really didn't want to lose that job and it was hard. (laughs) It was hard to smile and... And it kind of going along with that, I like, wish, kind of wish I'd said something at this time because one of the most mortifying meetings I ever had with my boss was about my clothes because customers had complained that my tits were out and like, they weren't really out. Like I wore, I mean, sure, they just existed basically. Yeah. Cause like I wore office appropriate clothing. Like I went to freaking Nordstrom and I got like suits. It's not like I was wearing my usual like low cut tank tops at work. I wasn't, but I was wearing like fitted tops. And apparently the, like, older clientele were upset by it. So then they basically, like, told me where my neckline had to be for my clothes from then on. And I was so embarrassed in that meeting. And I 
probably apologize, which I'm so ashamed about. And I wish I'd said something, but <laughs> I did not. And I think I would now. Wow. Yeah, that's that's so good. <laughs> a good. I mean, yeah, I mean, not a good story. Well, you know what I mean? Like, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> You're welcome. How very. Oh, I did want to more comment about Beatrice at dinner was that I felt really bad for that tow truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> he did not know what to do. Where are you going? Greetings and salutations. I'm going to shout out to our California people. Uh, this movie takes place in California, so it feels like a good time to say hello to our California listeners. Hello, California. I do know some people who live in California, but I don't know for sure if any of them listen. Mm. They haven't mentioned, so. Although I do know that Christian Papirniak at least listened to one episode. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah. that's cool. I would. Right, I'm sure it's mostly industry people listening. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure every time I tag someone on Twitter, they get right on there. And... My friend James lives in California. So oh, yeah. I'm, I think he's listened once or twice. And my brother Kevin lives in California. I doubt that he listens, but he does live in Santa Monica. How about you, Christina? You know peeps in California? My friend Julie, who I grew up with, lives in Venice Beach. And yeah. I know she's listened to some of the episodes. Yeah, I don't know like a ton of people in California. Well... Kathy, uh, my sister-in-law's sister and their family, they live in California. And my cousin, Ramey, in San Francisco. But I don't know if he knows I have a podcast, actually. I should tell him about that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Hollywood uh, Mark listens to I feel like I feel like he would have told me if he did. He hasn't, but if you are listening, hello, Hollywood Mark. He loves it when I call him that, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Possibly my friend Jacob, who also lives in, well, he lives in Tiburon now, but he used to live in San Francisco. I have an ex in Hollywood, but I don't, Ooh. I doubt he listens. I don't know. Yeah, my former brother-in-law <laughs> lives in La Crescenta, and I doubt he's listening, but but if you are, Dave Green, I love you. <laughs> I will probably never see each other again, sadly. Also, my very funny friend, Danielle, comedian, Danielle Radford. Ooh. So funny. She used to live in Seattle. We love, we keep losing all our talented people to California. Yeah. <laughs> but if she's listening, hello. I don't know if she does. I don't ask people if they do or not, so that's why I'm always speculating. I just wait for them to tell me. <laughs> anyway. What's up, California? Hey, California. And that's it for season four, series oh, wow. four <laughs> of Paid and Puke. Uh, we that's your Australian accent? <laughs> yes. <laughs> series four. That was not good. <laughs> but we'll be back with season five series five season series five yeah. <laughs> we've already got a couple of movies planned for that so it's gonna keep churning these out yes we've got a long list yeah it's a lot of fun thank you for listening everybody that does and spread the word please so that we can finally start getting the monies because my <laughs> daughter does keep asking me if we're getting paid for my podcast yet and the answer is always no Ben, give her some money. It's easier. This concludes Series 4 of Paid in Puke. Please join us next week for a very special off-season holiday episode of Paid in Puke. We're keeping the Yuletide gay with Clea Duvall's Happiest Season, starring Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Aubrey Plaza, Alison Brie, Mary Steenbergen, and Mary Holland. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Paid in Puke, please take a minute to rate us highly on your preferred podcast listening apparatus. If you did not enjoy this episode, no further action is necessary. Paid in Puke is hosted by Amy Green, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. Music by Silent Partner. Follow us on Twitter at Paid in Puke Pod, on Instagram at Paid in Puke Seattle, or join us on Facebook at Paid in Puke Podcast. Thanks for listening. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up.